Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 130 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths, and very shortly I'll be joined by my good friend Warren Wu to have a chat with the local brewing company who operate in Melbourne, Australia. Hugo will be joining us to talk about all things local brewing company. Uh, a really interesting story about the ethos and background of what they're trying to achieve there, as well as some great beers to chat about. Uh, we didn't have a little guess that noise quiz at the start of this episode because we still haven't awarded the prize for last episode with The Mill. Uh, so there's a really good reason to go back and check out our episode with The Mill if you haven't heard it yet. And you can win a free pack of beers from The Mill uh, just by emailing us at Podcast. We've got so many exciting events coming up, my friends, that I can barely even get my head around which ones to mention first. Uh, but suffice to say that at the end of May, I'm going to be joining up with Beer Deluxe and Yarra Botanica to do some great live events. And really looking forward to having breweries like Three Ravens, Hop Nation, Dollar Bill, Deeds and many others coming along and being part of the Hair of the Dog Breakfast uh, and a vegan dinner and then some afternoon beer cocktails at Yarra Botanica. So check out our Facebook page if you'd like to learn more about those events. They really promise to be fantastic and uh, a great opportunity to come together with the Cool Room family in the flesh, uh, which is at times even more exciting than the podcast. Uh, that said, even on the podcast, we've got some really exciting events coming up. Uh, if you haven't already got your packs for King River, please do that. Uh, we've had to delay sea legs by a month, but instead we're going to drop in shambles. Uh, we've got so many good fun things. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, like and uh, subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and go back and check out our archives. With all of that bit of shilling done, I want to get on to welcoming Mr. Warren Wu to the microphone and then we can start our conversation with Hugo from the local brewing company. We're in Melbourne, and in the case of local, we're in Clifton Hill. Um, Hugo, why don't you give us, why don't you start, let's start with the brewery itself. Tell us a bit about uh, local, how it started, and, and the little part of the world you guys come from. Beautiful. Uh, well, firstly, thank you very much for having us on. I'm pleased. I think you said awesome guests up the top, uh, oh, David. So that I'm sounds pleased. like the kind of thing I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I classify myself as an awesome guest, but no, pleasure to uh be on such a fantastic podcast number 130 it's always the best number uh yeah. but no um we are clifton hill in melbourne well funnily enough behind me is like the our home and as you can see it's not not much of a home yet uh but for the first three and a half years that's uh, when we first started um we've been contract brewing so we we haven't had a home which is kind of interesting for a brewery called local to not have a home because the mm -hmm. first question is like the natural lead in right is well where's where's local what's local too and okay it was when we first started a kind of funny introduction that we could like build off well it's like well locals wherever you're drinking it um and that's still true very much this day um but yeah we started three and a half years ago and it was nothing more than a, a few friends who got together um none of us were commercial brewers um Few of us had done a bit of like home brewing, but nothing much beyond, you know, tinkering around with um, 
you know, the big plastic uh, vats and, um, you know, venturing out into to maybe getting the grain and, and the hops rather than just the plain slate Cooper's kit. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we were, this is kind of about, uh, we're all about in our close to 30. So we've kind of come in and we started our beer journey with Carlton Draft, mass-produced beers. That's what was out there. And as we started to like, you know, grow up and go out into bars and we noticed the, the beer offerings would, would start to change. Uh, and that got us really interested in, in craft beer. And uh, three of us from uni, uh, four of us, sorry, in fact, were from friends from uni. Uh, and then one of our founders, uh, Nick Campbell, ha was working at RACB. Uh, had two other colleagues there who'd also had a shared interest in, in craft beer. And the, the catalyst really comes when uh, that Nick Campbell goes to a party and he finds a friend that had brewed his own beer, like homebrew, but gone a step further and he'd, he'd actually created a label for his own beer. Like, you know, just to give out to friends when they arrive for a dinner party, hey, try my beer, here it is. And that got him thinking and he came back to us. He's like, hey, we all like beer, right? Well, it's not too much harder to put a label on a beer. And if it's not too much harder to put a label on a beer, how much harder could it be to sell that beer? Turns out it's a little mm. bit harder. Uh, <laughs> out, the next three and a half years. Um, so we spent, um, yeah, the next three and a half years, you know, researching, investigating, uh, going through all the, the process and legal framework around what you need to do to start a company, to le legally uh, sell beer, develop mm -hmm. recipe, recipes commercially, um, distribution, logistics, everything. So a team of five, which since had one more come on board as a kind of founder and director. And now we have um, two employees who are selling our beer, one in Melbourne, one in um, New South Wales, um, a few more coming on board. And we've opened up a, a coffee arm to the business as well while we try and get this space in Clifton Hill activated. Um, wow. Yeah. So there are big, big dreams ahead. And um, I'll stop talking now because otherwise... No, no, that's awesome. <laughs> no, that no, sounds like terrific. it. That sounds no, like it. Talk away. We, we love it. So, yeah. Um, so this this shell that you have in... in It's it's a beautiful looking shell you've got behind you. But it's... what what Give us... A, what's the vision? What are you going to do with it? Like what should... When, when people walk to the door, what should they be expecting or what do you want them to, to, to experience? Yeah. Great question. So we've, we've always wanted a home and, and we spent a lot of time visiting other breweries and, and tap rooms. So the idea for this space would, uh, brewing was for front and forward, more than just a bar, but a place that the brewing would occur on site. So definitely a tap room, a uh, place where we could experiment with the beers and trial them, obviously, but it was a, a place that people could walk into and suddenly we could share that story. Um, I think we'll go into a little bit about you know, our, our ethos and values and, and how we um, started the company with a vision in mind. Um, but prior to having a, a home, it's really only limited opportunities you can get, you know, tastings, uh, mm. festivals where you can really share your story. Um, yeah. Just picking up a can and drinking the beer, you lose a bit of like that ability to storytell, which I think is, mm -hmm. is quite important these days with, with yeah. brands. So it's, yeah, primarily a place that people can come and, have amazing beer, but also yep. to be able to, to learn a bit, a bit more about um, what we wanted to achieve um, with local brewing coat, which is, of course would be, but it's a bit more than that. So we started with an idea in mind that, well, if we're going to get together, if we're going to make beer, if we're going to sell it, like 
what what's going to be different about it and hey can we make a difference can we do something more than just make good beer mm-hmm. uh, we're all quite um motivated to be able to have a company that could give back in some way so very early on in fact before we've even even started brewing um we teamed up with an amazing um social enterprise called second bite and second bite uh an organization that deals with food insecurity and food redistribution so they're ending food waste or trying to minimize and eliminate food waste and hunger at the same time so they'll get generally from from coals like food that's not being sold and would otherwise be thrown out or food that never makes it to market and they're finding avenues and and ways to get that food to people who need it so we very early <clears throat> excuse me early on are committed to uh, providing being able to give enough money that second bite could provide a meal uh, for every pack and pint of beer uh, that we sell so that was uh, wow. um, very early on what we committed to and um, yeah, we've just hang on, stay there. Ooh, a scoop, David. This is a little bit early. Which I like, yeah. Uh, a big uh, number we were able to uh, to give uh, for ten thousand um, dollars to Second Bite just uh, a few months ago, which was a, a huge source of um, pride for us. Yeah, that's awesome. That is uh, that's terrific. I love it. Um, and for those at home who are listening to the podcast. Giant novelty checks are the most amazing thing ever. I'll yeah. never get sick as eager. <laughs> I have to say there was probably far more talk about getting the novelty check than the yeah. other parts of the donation, but yeah. um, you've got to have a novelty check, don't you? Yeah. It is fantastic. We love I think you, you do. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> do, you, do you really give anyone money if it isn't with a <laughs> novelty <laughs> check? Yeah. And then we'd suddenly like to... Do we give it to them? Do we take it back? What happens? Yeah. Do they take it to the bank? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> what happens with this? All questions which no one considers until you're gonna give a giant novelty check. Yeah. What's, what's uh, the, well? You've got to tell us the answer to the question now. Yeah, what yeah, what happens? <laughs> uh, we've, we've still got it, so I think it's more for uh, photo ops. And then we were like, well, I guess we can reuse it for other. We can rub it off and <laughs> rub the name off or rub something else. Yeah. Well, that's We're true. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it's like a, it's a piece of, it's a piece of like, I suppose for want of a better term, corporate art. Like you've got this like frame, oh. just like that. This is our first big donation to. I don't know. I'd like this in my head. It just there's so many things. It's great. Well, funnily enough, Warren, we've had this running joke ever since we started that whatever piece of the very first merchandise we had, the first beers we created, we've held onto like a few labels, things here and there. And yep. it's like, what do we do with this now? And it was always save it for the museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> museum to save it for the museum. Yeah. So, yeah. It'll take up a bit of space, but maybe that's what we'll need. Local brewing's own own little uh, Mona. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so oh, we should we should get onto the beer. This is this is a this is something we've done a couple of times now. We've got to stop doing it. Let's we've we we've started. <laughs> Sorry, well, can we quickly recognise the brilliance of James uh, Murphy's just written here, going straight to the cool room? Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. go Thank straight you, to the cool room. Is it waterproof? Do you think you could, yeah, just hide it away in the, we've, in we've the cool room? We've been talking about this check for probably two minutes longer than I anticipated. But, uh, <laughs> look, I think it is. I think it is waterproof. 
So yeah, well, it's yeah. Just a th- that you've you've used the opportunity to get it on screen for the second time. So this is again, <laughs> we always say to our listeners, we love the fact they're downloading the podcasts. But if you're not actually joining us live on Zoom, then you don't get to see things like the novelty check. So you know, this is the reason. This is the reason why you want to be live with us if you can. You know, it should be. Can we get? Can we somehow lobby to get every company should start out start off. Uh, and the first thing they should do is develop a big novelty check. It kind of gives them, uh, it kind of gives the company. Uh, a, Go a and say credibility. Say credibility. Like not credibility, <laughs> but just, you know, just a little bit of a value or or just kind of a a piece of tangible thing where they, instead of just thinking, oh, it's all about the money, this check is actually going somewhere else. Which I think is really, I think it's really great. I, I think that's terrific, guys. I think Hugo, that's that's um that's awesome. Now we're going to talk beer, but we are going to oh, come back yeah. to hear, hear more of Hugo's story about how he's got to be where he is. Mm. More about the brewery and more about Second Bite and the work that they do. Because so yeah. if you if you're listening in, don't think that we're going to ignore those things. We're going to be talking as we drink through the beers that we're having today about those things and put, teasing all of those threads out. But um. Yeah, we've got we've got the lager. Um, now, are we right in saying this is sort of the newest addition to the to the core lineup? Yeah, um, this is the very first batch and brew um, that that we've produced, and, and the idea this would sit in the the lineup of the three core beers that we already had. So, out of interest, um, for just a, for your information, that's the uh, the Sunset XPA, yeah, our Pacific Pale. Uh, the Runaway IPA and now our, um, our laid-back lager. So, yeah, that's, um, that was with the idea in mind. You'll notice that those first three beers are all kind of hop-forward, hop-profile beers. So yeah. it was kind of a, a natural um, progression for us to, to bring back that hop and to bring in some other flavour profiles. Yep, love it, love it. Um, so you were saying, so you're, that range, that range, very much a great kind of core range. A lot of things you could sit on interest with everything, but not you're not there's there's not things which are uh, kind of pushing the envelope, which I suppose is what you do when it comes to a core range. Um, you, before we started the podcast, you had yeah you were talking about that and and the the idea behind your core range. Um, you want to just re- retread those steps? Yeah, of course. I mean it's. As, as you mentioned before, your, your core range generally wants to be uh, a bit more level entry, accessible to the mass market and maybe people who aren't, you know, as, as passionate about craft beer as, as we are. So we've always had that in mind, but I think more and more today we can see that you can you can do both. You can have a really flavour-packed um, beer, you know, craft beer that people want to return to again and again and buy six packs of. So... You know, that's, that's a debate now whether you go to a six and four and what size. But these beers were really all designed to, to be able to give to kind of anyone, craft beer drinker or not, and then to be able to go, yeah, I, yeah, that's all right. It's got flavour, you know. It might not be my cup of tea, but, you know, I can drink it. And, yep. and we had in mind for a lot of this our, our parents or, or even friends that we knew that, you know, would, would, would go towards the mass-produced beer you know, if given any opportunity, 
But when given this, they now, I think we've trained a lot of them to, to enjoy them. And now they, they'll search out craft beer, which is a big source of pride. Now parents, um, I just had my wedding a few months ago and was able to stock all those beers at the wedding. So the entire family and friends were only had the option of local brewing co. And I don't think they would have told me they were disappointed if, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> on your wedding day of all days. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah. Uh, but we had a lot of people go, oh, no, yeah, the, the Pacific Hail's the one. Yeah, yeah, go for that one. That one's, you know, that one's a delicious one. And um, it was really lovely to see what, you know, maybe 20 years ago, these, you know, particularly my parents and their friends yeah. wouldn't, have, wouldn't have even heard of a craft. You wouldn't have touched any other beer besides maybe the three beers that were available in their state growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, can you tell us a, a bit about the process that, that leads to the, the, the laid back lager? Like what, what's some, um, yeah, your thoughts, run us through a bit of a tasting and, and, and yeah, give us a bit of background about the laid back lager. Yeah, sure. So again, going back to that, that uh, idea that we want this beer to be um, accessible, but full of flavor. Um, so we were, we'd done a bit of, drinking and, and as we kind of our palates and our tastes have become probably maybe a bit overwhelmed by overly hoppy sweet beers mm-hmm. lactose beers uh, the last few years um we started to drink a bit a few more lagers um we're fortunate very fortunate that um we brew most of our beer with burnley brewing and michael stanzel there the head brewer um trained in germany has is arguably one of the best brewers in the country of lager mm-hmm. Um, so we had a great resource there to lean on, but I mean, also we had done a few trips to Tasmania and I think we tried the, the Bocamp lager down there and we were like, Oh, geez, this is, we, we need to be making something like this. Um, yeah. and then even coming back to Melbourne, you've got guys that are doing, uh, like Hop Nation's organic lager. And that kind of changed my idea of what, like a, I guess a modern, uh, lager could be as well. Yep. It was like definitely much more of like a, a, a floral hop profile, um, but still had that like malt base and sweetness and crispness, uh, crispness mm-hmm. as well. So look, maybe elements of all those together. It's an unfiltered lager, which you know maybe mirrors that uh, Hop Nation style. But we're using fairly traditional, um, you know, malt bases. You know, extra pale, a little bit of Munich, a little bit of Pilsner. Um, um, yeah, and then the Halatau traditional and a bit of Citra hop in there. Um, to, to round it out. So yeah, the few kind of biscuity sweet notes is our very first commercial batch as well. So like any beer that will be kind of fine tuned um, as we, as we go along. And yeah, I think it, mm. for us, we're, we're happy to be in the, the lager game and yeah, have it sitting alongside our other hoppy beers. Um, so what is a commercial batch for you like just just to get a sense of of where you started and what and how big you 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 you're beginning at yeah what what's a commercial batch like how many cans or kegs or yeah liters i suppose yeah um, so yeah. we did a 30 heck batch to this one i think originally we were playing around with 40 heck it's really difficult to to predict demand uh, at the moment coming out of covid um, yeah. like january which we had maybe naively predicted as going to be like a, a rebound month. And like, I think the whole industry was kind of quite shocked at just like the rate, the slowness uh, of coming into those summer months mm. and 
um, how slowly it was to, to pick back up again, which is slowly getting there. But um, we ended up being a bit more conservative. We went with a 30 heck with 3000 litre batch. Our very first batch for um, interest was 1000 litres. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, 10 heck. Um, and we're um, about new, generally we're half kegs and half cans. So look, yep. I've, I've forgotten my maths exactly uh, what yeah, that Yeah, 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 yeah. But that sounds yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we went with. And generally, our batches run about that size. You know, we, we slowly crept up from two thousand liters to four thousand, um, and some of our bigger batches now, which we can touch on later for our. Our beers are, are getting up to you know seven seven thousand liters. Yep, uh, not to not to bask in the rays that come out of um, Michael's from Burnley's ass, but <laughs> the temptation if you're brewing beer with him would be to just go, all right. So you trained in Germany and you made lots and lots of lagers. So and more probably more lagers than most people have ever than most breweries will ever do. Yeah. Um, the the temptation would be to just go oh, maybe you could just do a lager and we'll just stick <laughs> our label on it and, and like, off we go into the world with something that's really awesome. Um, did you have any inspirations, though? You mentioned, you mentioned um, the organic lager from, from, um, uh, from Hop Nation, but did you guys have any other, uh, other, like, inspirations that you drew from, any styles that you thought, oh, yeah, well, let's, let's kind of go in that direction? Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean... I mean, Michael's beers at Burnley, we've always loved. I mean, Vienna Lager is one of my favourite, but I guess that Hell's Lager that, you know, is kind of oh, yeah. Yeah. brighter and, um, like, in my mind, like, there's no other beer that I probably just want to sit down and, and yeah. drink can after, after can of or pine after pine of. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of leaning, I guess, more into that Munich-style um, lager. Um, but, again, you know, we have that unfiltered characteristic. We want a little baby bit more character a little, little bit more something for the modern craft beer drinker um and again that Bocamp style Bocamp's a very traditional um lager but we just you know thought it was just such a beautiful beer and then I guess we're trying to combine elements of of what we like in different styles of lagers in a way and from there we're going to create our own unique beer and yeah fine-tune it to to get to exactly yeah where we want it awesome it's a really nice beer just to kick back and drink and have yeah. a yarn with mates over, which kick is, you know. Back, David, thank you. Well, yeah, that's the whole idea. It's a laid back. It's, you know, don't spend too much time analysing it. Just, you know, crack a can and yeah. sit down and, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. I think you could, you could analyse it a little bit. I like, I, I'm, I can't help myself, but yeah, <laughs> I like the, yeah, the lovely, yeah, uh, like the malt. The malt kind of sings in it. It's it's just a yeah. It's a really yeah good good line. A great line of lager. It's yeah. It's really tasty. Um, <laughs> I've gone as as per usual. I've gone straight ahead, and I just cracked the Pacific Power, which is our next one. Um, you're you're on the case today, mate. You're motoring along. Yeah, is that too quick? Should we slow down? Oh, Should I we... think that's. I think it's. Uh, it's good, and even just having a little bit of the uh, the lager to finish off, and then be able to talk about, you know, what makes a Pacific Ale a Pacific Ale, for instance. Yeah, you know, what is it? Yeah, yeah, that is a great place to start. Hugo, yeah, What's great question. Um, so, well, at least personally, um, part of the 
crafty journey uh, for me was I was actually schoolies 2008, uh, 2007, sorry, in fact, I went up to Byron Bay and we're like, all right, what are we, what are we drinking? We're at, we're at yeah. the pub. They're like, it's like, oh, well, people here have been drinking this stone and wood stuff. I'm not sure what it is, but I think it's all right. <laughs> anyway, I have a, a, a sniff of this. Like, what is this fruity floral? Is this beer sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't too long before that's all we were drinking up there. Yeah. And, you know, it's especially a, a younger beer drinker um, yeah. starting up. We only drank the Calm Drafts of the world. It was just such a, an amazing like contrast to what I was drinking before. And yeah. the fellow uh, founders as well, you know, no one was ever disappointed if the only craft beer they had was Stone and Wood uh, yeah. back in the early days of craft beer. So we love that floral Ford style. Um, and we always had in mind... Um, to try and not necessarily replicate, but do something in that style. Now, this is at the same time as we were thinking this, that, uh, so it's about three, um, three years ago now, two and a half years ago, that the Pacific Ale and whether that had a right to be exclusively Stone and Wood's intellectual property was kind yeah, of... Here we go. Yeah, yeah I love it. Yeah, I might is- remember that Thunder Road had gone ahead and, and named their beer Pacific Ale as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least for us, there was a kind of understanding in the, the craft beer community that, well, look, Stone and Wood had pioneered essentially an original style of beer, and perhaps that was worth respecting as a fellow craft beer label and someone we admired. Um, so we kind of maybe tried to split the difference, and we originally had called this beer Pacific Paradise because we did want to conjure up these feelings, and especially our first beer, Sunset XBA, there was you know an aspirational sort of like. Uh, label in there of like, well, we picture this beer with like sunsetty vibes. We picture this beer as, you know, similar. You can sit on a beach in paradise and drink it. And those are the sorts of aromas that, you know, you can maybe picture. Um, so Pacific Paradise is what we originally named the beer for that reason, but it was trying to kind of echo um, that style of Pacific ale that we loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, we've, we've since realised that it was maybe perhaps a bit too vague. People weren't really exactly sure what they were buying yeah. when it was a Pacific yep. Paradise. So um, there is a touch uh, of Pacific Paradise that makes it sound like a number of other potential products. I'm not going to name them all, but like like a, like an icy pole, for instance, at work. <laughs> I was really thinking that Pacific Paradise sounded like a lovely musical from the 1930s. Well, oh. Yeah, or or a, or where you get a succulent Chinese meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could be many things. Anyway, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Massage, massage perhaps. Food. <laughs> some sort of companionship sorry yeah no um, yeah I, we could see where the issue would be in Pacific <laughs> Paradise yeah yeah uh so then we uh we decided to relabel this Pacific Pale but haven't we've had we have tinkered with the recipe since but it's still um uh what we uh, originally had kind of envisioned um yep. not using Galaxy which I think when we first were looking to brew the beer, I mean, Galaxy is the, like the hop really that gives that um, Pacific mm. ale its characteristics. Um, I think there was a shortage at the time. So then it actually, and I, I've always been a believer that being limited uh, in something or being constrained can actually work in your favour. You end mm-hmm. up like being yep. maybe even more creative than you otherwise would be because you yeah. know, Galaxy was the easy default, right? Um, so well, melon is the, a hop that has a very similar profile to galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a bit less of that 
bright floral and a bit more of the kind of melon characteristics. So maybe I'll, I'll jump forward into like the, the taste profile, what you should be getting from here. Mm. I mean, it's designed mm. for you that you're sitting on the beach. Um, mm. a relatively low percentage at 4.2. So it is that like summer session real yep. view, but like light and bright, a lot of like melon that comes through and a lot of um, citrus from the Amarillo as well. So you should get some kind of lighter, you know, orange notes there. Uh, as well, and yeah, I better crack a can as well with you. So I <laughs> smell it. Myself. Sorry, sorry to drink like a pirate, but yeah, <laughs> terrible. What yeah, a terrible podcast from being made to drink my own beer. Right. Um, so, so Warren, it's, it's interesting. I think because you know, in our tasting packs, and a reminder to everyone, you know, to get and grab the tasting packs off Shopify. I think we've still got a couple left uh, for for this episode, mm. but we've got in there the Pacific and the Sunset and the IPA, the Runaway IPA, are we going to see the same hops sort of appearing, you know, in all of those or are there really quite distinct differences between them? And mm. again, for newer craft beer drinkers, just to sort of educate us a, bit, a little bit about what makes each of those styles distinct. Yeah, great question. Um, so first part of the question, there is a little bit of crossover with some of the hops. There are some hops that we're big fans of and just make for uh, the brewing process to be um, maybe more, more streamlined, if that's the word. Again, I'm not the commercial brewer, so you, you're right at the limit of my knowledge here. But for example, Amarillo, which is in our uh, Pacific Paradise, we also um, use in our, our Sunset XBA. Mm -hmm. um, that has really high... Um, alpha oils content so you know, really good to extract those um citrusy flavors from beer the sweet notes that come through um citra which is uh in both our runaway and sunset xba is just like the, the classic like west coast hop it's like the hop that you kind of yeah. almost first go to when you're thinking of like all those great hop aromas like trying to bundle them into one kind of hop. Um, you'll get those like some piney notes, some grassy notes, but a lot of like floral fruity notes that come through. Um, we've always loved using citra in, in a lot of our beers. So we'll continue to use that. And then uh, Centennial we've used in a few as that kind of bittering hop as well. Again, that's really accessible and, you know, it's, it's well known how it performs in beers. So yeah, a bit of crossover. Um, and yeah, again, it's it's not set in stone. They'll they'll be tinkering as we go along with like what hops work. You know, it's, hops might be subbed out as as we go on. We can't guarantee. You know, a lot will be do do with availability and um, hop shortages in the future, which I'm sure will will occur. And new hops that come onto the market. Can I, a bit of a follow up question, James, in the in the chat on Zoom, um, asks a question about how much the hop, you know, flavour of this seems to be coming through. And I'm going to reinterpret it a little bit, which is to say that, you know, on the on the lager, we were just having the label says 20 IBU and on the Pacific Paradise, it says 18 IBU. And yet I would personally feel, and I think probably James might be hinting at the fact that this one feels a bit hoppier um, than the lager did. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's, um, I think a lot of people can get caught up purely in like numbers and reading numbers and again you go off your taste right trust your instincts more because uh, a hot profile um, can be can be more pronounced than the bitterness units um, mm -hmm. is shown on the label and 
like in in our laid back lager for example like there's a little bit of, of citra in there as well but it won't come through uh, as pronounced uh, as it does in in a beer that really is is meant to showcase uh, that hop aroma um, yep. does that mean that you don't design the labels and do you want to do you want to explain who's in charge of putting the IBU <laughs> ratings on these things they're not going to listen to this so you can get away that one. Big, big shout out to um, Sam, who does most of the um, design work or who does the design work for our company, one of the founders. So it is a fantastic job. And there's uh, a few of us who have to proofread and uh, some of us who probably shouldn't be proofreading because as soon as the label comes back, there's like, how did you yeah. miss this? And he's like, well, three of you guys checked it. So you tell me. <laughs> shout out, Sam. Good, good work. <laughs> I, yeah, I I don't know many designs where you don't have to, and they're mostly free to free. They're, they're mostly happy to tell you, yeah, you better proofread that. Yeah. Look, we have there's nothing too major that uh, has occurred on our labels that uh, would have got us in, in big trouble. Uh, the most amusing I've heard recently of uh, Burnley Brewing, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying that um, I found out pretty quickly after they printed their labels and packaged their beer. That seltzer is not um, spelled seltzer. Uh, oh dear! Oh no! But look, they—I reckon they took it like champions, and they kind of embraced it because what else can you do at that point? So, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, their seltzers, I have to say, are probably <laughs> the best that I've, I've tasted. They've, yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, I feel like we, we, so we've had the guys from Burnley on a couple of times, go back and check the archives, but I feel like you're doing a better job of spruiking their comment, uh, their products than Chloe here and Michael did themselves. When they were, on. <laughs> yeah. we're just hoping for a discount on our brewing rates, David. That's really all we want. <laughs> um, oh, they've been great uh, supporters and helpers uh, of us uh, along the way and a great kind of professional relationship as well. Um, can I mention though, um, James has put his hand up to offer to proofread uh, the labels for us. Uh, he said, just send the beers over. So thank you, James. Yeah. My, <laughs> that arrangement. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a trooper. So many people in the cool room are just always willing to go that extra mile. Yeah, it's yeah. for. Don't expect anything in return either. It's lovely. What a community. That's exactly right. And, and you know, once he's tasted the slab, you may or may not get some comments, you know, but we'll see, you know, we'll see whether you can read his handwriting about the proofreading. <laughs> Um, always, always appreciate the help, man. We wanted to sort of, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, just to sort of start to talk about, you know, your own personal journey through beer and so forth. And, you know, interested to hear if you can remember, say, the first real craft beer that you had and, you know, what it was and, you know, your little journey before you even started. You said you started, you know, drinking the usual carton drafts that we all start on. Yeah, we know. We all know the story. We've, we've heard it all before. When I grew up, there was only the beer that was, you know, brewed in the mass-produced factory down in my state. And then um, I got a bit older, and you know, for me, it was the first trip overseas um, naturally. And I can't name any beer in, in particular on my first journey, but uh, I was in a lot of Europe and suddenly going to British pubs and trying ales, which I knew at the time I was like, "This is this is wrong. This isn't what a beer should be, right? It's warm. It's it's you know flat. It's too sweet, but there's no like bubbles in it. I don't understand." Um, but then I think really it was that um, you know stone stonewood beer that it yeah. changed my perception of what beer should be. Uh, and then from there, because I used to buy beers based. On, 
purely on the alcoholic content. And I don't know if anyone remembers this beer, and I'm not proud, but Tui's used to have a beer called Platinum, I think, which was an 8%. It was barely a beer at that point. When you'd take, and it came in eight packs, which was <laughs> terrible for like a young person who could go out and for like 20 odd dollars buy this eight yeah. pack of 8% beer. Um, yeah, and so ruined or made and or ruined a lot of nights and then as you get older you're like this is not what I should be doing and then my first trip to Belgium that like really just like opened my mind of like oh my god there's a whole other aspect of beer that I didn't even know like yeast forward beers like these Mm -hmm. these are incredible like I've just got so many other like flavors now so um yeah Stonewood the easy answer Um, but then Mountain Goat was probably my first I believe uh, and a lot of our first, our founders' uh, introduction to a, a brewery um, and beer off tap and some more interesting flavours. And Moondog for me, as well as when they had their Abbotsford um, yeah. first set up, like I was drinking Barrel Aged, their, um, uh, I think Ogden Pash's, Ogden Nash's Pash Rash or, or yeah, something yeah. similar that like, kind of just blew your mind as to like what a what a beer could be so they've kind of in, inspired us those beers to um to really want to get into the industry and to, to be a part of it and it is such an amazing industry to be part of because we're we're quite a unique story in that none of us were commercial brewers and i, I know you the majority i'm assuming of, of beer companies that you speak to and you speak to a lot of brewers themselves of people who got into the industry because they were really great at brewing beer or they fell in love with beer, they became good at brewing it, and then they started a company. And we've kind of come from another angle. And just because you aren't a commercial brewer, or even if you have very limited brewing experience, doesn't mean that you can't be involved in the industry or even be a part of a beer label. You need to have, you know, you need to work just as hard, arguably, maybe if not harder, and and have the right people around you. Um, But it is, I think, really warming to us that we are just as accepted um, as not brewers out ourselves um by the craft beer community so yeah i'm i'm really fascinated particularly the contrast to the last guests that we had on who were from woolshed brewery who sort of did a similar thing in terms of going over to the uk tasting their beers they came back and went right what we want to make is those english style ales you've obviously Mm. sort of taken a quite different approach to why you've got the beers you do in your lineup can we talk for a little bit about why you've chosen the direction you have, even though the, these English beers were some of the ones that inspired you, just the same as the team last week? Yeah, well, I think it's more um, to do with the timing more than anything else. So so it's uh, back three and a half years ago. So, you know, we've got 2018 and it's um, the rise of hop forward beers that's slowly making prominence and there's a brand in particular you might have heard of it's called bolter mm-hmm. um and they just brought out a beer that for us tasted amazing and it was a, a hop forward beer that you could have definitely more than one of and you could even give to your friends who you know we enjoyed ipas at that point but you know for some of us that was still quite a bit of the you know quite a, a task to be able to get to the point where you can you know appreciate them and enjoy them fully but this beer for us was like just the perfect middle ground. And another thing in particular, coming from a, a lot of like marketing background, a lot of us in the, the business was, hey, here's a beer that just, it was clean. The design was like clean. It was beautiful. It had like famous people behind it. But at that point, it wasn't quite the behemoth that it 
it is now and it wasn't mm -hmm. obviously brought out it was independent and we were like wow what a what a great like company what a great beer and we were certainly like inspired by by bolter uh, and by that beer and we wanted to to try and see if we could make something similar so that's what at xba at that point we thought was like this it would be the perfect product that we could um, launch with that had mass appeal to craft beer drinkers but also be that gateway for a lot of the non-craft beer drinkers that we knew whether that be parents or friends so the sunset xba is what we launched with and yeah we certainly try to put our own spin on it you know maybe have a bit more mango passion fruity notes come through uh, maybe a little softer in the malt profile um but it's it's hard to have favorites I'm not a parent. I wouldn't know if you could have a favourite child. I assume you still would have a favourite child if you're a parent. Ah, uh, yes. You don't say it in public. But no, yeah. you never let it be recorded. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, the Sunset XBA, just for, for that reason, I think of like, we did it, this, like, we created this thing that, you know, at times we, we were questioning whether we'd like, are we really doing this? Are we really doing this thing with like so limited knowledge behind us and so little capital behind us? Uh, and so for that reason, and the fact that I can just have that beer and enjoy it any, any time, um, the Sunset XBA is, was, was born and yeah, it continues to be for a lot of us, our favorite beer that we've done and, and the special place um, yeah, in our company's history. We're not officially tasting the XPA today, even though it's in the in the tasting pack that we've got. But how much has that recipe changed over the years? Um, you're sort of describing, you know, that it's the original. Was it? Yeah. To be honest, not not a whole lot. Um, we first brewed this beer um, at Craft and Co in Collingwood. Um, the head brewer there, uh, Heath, and assistant Olmo. I did a fantastic job of taking us newbies who had nothing more than a homebrew recipe, a lot of enthusiasm uh, and little knowledge of the industry they were plunging headfirst into. And, you know, I, I think they would also admit that they saw us and were maybe hesitant uh, <laughs> with what we were aspiring to do and to be. Uh, but nevertheless, they, they helped perfect this beer uh, that we wanted to create and, and scale it up to a commercial um, recipe. Uh, and then we brewed a thousand litres. We, we labelled, hand labelled all that batch ourselves. We spray painted the boxes with a stencil that we'd cut out. You know, it was, it was super basic. Um, and then we had a launch party at, at Concrete Boots where we had that beer um, on tap and we first introduced it to the world. And we pre-sold all the beer to basically family and friends. Love and it. that allowed us and gave us enough money that we could go back and brew another batch. And then, um, yeah, then we started as we kind of grew that, grew out of that space, we formed relationships with other breweries and contract brewers and Burnley Brewing in particular that now make the majority of our, yeah, XBA and other core range beers. It's a fantastic story. So many of our listeners you know, our home brewers who'd love to make that jump. You gave me some useful advice before we came on air about what, how to build a bar. We'll get to that later on. But do you have any sort of similar little learnings about quite genuinely, you know, those first couple of things, do you just wish someone had told you when you scale up a, you know, mm -hmm. a beer or when you go to deal with a 
you know, a contract brewer like that. One, one or two bits of advice that you'd give to aspiring home brewers who want to make the jump. Yeah, good question. Um, I, geez, we've, I think we've learned almost everything the hard way, which is often the best way to learn. You're not, so you're not going to share any secrets. You want them to learn the hard way as well. Is that <laughs> <what>? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'll, I'll give you some, some little advice. I, and actually, the first is like, if, if you really have aspirations um, to do this, is like, well, just, just do it. Like, there's so many people and like we talk, to people all the time about, yeah, me and my friends thought we could do this. We talked about making a beer. It's like, we'll, we'll sit down and, and do it. Like, you know, have a goal, step-by-step work out what you need to do, but have a good team behind you. Like, you can't do it all on your own. It's just, it is too much. If you're a commercial brewer, you can brew the beer, but then who's going to do all the other aspects of the business? And a lot of young businesses, not entirely beer related. In fact, it's kind of universal. They, they burn out because... What they really want to do is bake bread or brew beer, or whatever else it is. And what they end up doing and what they realize that being a business owner and running a business is vast statements and, you know, replying to emails and all the other parts of the business that are not what you really got into the business of, which is because you love brewing beer and, and giving beer to people. So you, you can have see the right from the body language from Warren and I that we've both been there and done this. Oh, yeah, we've been there and done that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so, it's so true. It's so find true. the find the person, get them on your team that loves accounting. Um, shout out to Chris Safala. I'm not sure if he loves accounting, but geez, he's good at it. Um, so he handles all that because no one else in the business really could do what he mm. does. Um, yes. And then have a real like goal, you know, what you want to achieve. And I think most importantly is you've got to sort out really early on what you want to do, but why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like what is the, the driving force behind this, this business that you're creating? Is it, is it just because you like brewing beer? Well, then maybe business is not the best way for you to, you know, brew beer and give beer to people. If you really want to, yeah. say, make an impact and, and spread your message far and wide and you really want to, you know, have the most experimental beers on the market, um, then go for that. If you want to be super niche, like Future Mountain, let's just do like, the best barrel-aged, wild-fermented stuff we can do. Or wildflower, they, they just limit themselves. They, they say, we don't really want to grow anymore. We just want to protect what we do. Then, then do that. But be really clear about what you want to do and why you're doing it uh, before you start. And, yeah, we've kind of learned as we've gone that you really need to be kind of laser-focused at times uh, because there's a lot of distractions in the way. And there's a lot of opportunity. But unless you're kind of focused on, on your goals, you can get sidetracked. And, and important to figure out who's the best accountant, important to figure out who's the best hand labeler of beer cans. Is that important <laughs> as well? Because that sounds kind of hellish. Uh, I, think, I think we all had to take a turn on that. I don't think, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you can be good or particularly bad at, at labeling. If you, if you put a beer on the labeler and it spins around, you've done your job. But shout out to it. There were, look, friends and family even came down and helped us out. Malcolm Mitchell. Uh, father of Claudia Mitchell, one of our founders, spent a whole day down at Craft and Co. labeling beers, and he was very quick to say, "You guys need to sort out some more efficient ways of doing your production." <laughs> <laughs> so he became the official efficiency expert, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shout out to Malcolm, thanks for the help. It sounds like you know, even just in your telling of the story, it sounds like you were very well supported by a big group of people, and that must have been excellent to sort of be able to fall back on that knowledge and 
skills and just general energy and support of so many people. Yeah, absolutely. This business wouldn't be where it is today and wouldn't be what it is um, uh, without the contribution of all the, the founders and, the, and family and friends. So five is a lot of people to start a business with and with the benefits that like a diverse skill set comes with and, and being able to uh, have a lot of people on the ground and help out with a lot of things comes with, you know, its own challenges as well. You've got five people with opinions. Uh, it's now six we've brought on board. Uh, one extra person, another friend though, that we've known who's now almost entire job is to get this tap room up and running. Uh, but you've got, yeah, six opinions and you've got six different ideas of, you know, directions the company should head perhaps or even as small as like the, the ingredients of, of the beer. So you do have to have committees. You have to have people whose roles are, are quite defined and you have to trust them that like they'll deliver on, on what they need to do and the rest of us can kind of come in and out of those decisions and what they're involved in. But this, this business has become you know, quite large now in three and a half years. And we've actually, amazingly up until this point, um, all kept our full-time jobs. So it's still kind of a, a passion project. Um, and it certainly couldn't have been done without, yeah, sacrifices um, and the support of the whole team. And you say people don't, you know, go into small business to file best statements. Are you <laughs> sure anyone goes into a small business to sit on committees? Because that sounds to me... <laughs> Sure, surely you can like pull, being a counselor. Yeah, just, surely you can do. Surely it's at least Friday afternoon over a beer is when the committee meetings happen. Uh, David, I think mm. you've, you've you've hit that nail on the head pretty quickly. There, a lot of the meetings are done uh, uh, while doing research. Um, yeah. at certain venues, and we're blessed in Clifton Hill to be a hop skipper to jump away from five other amazing craft breweries. That um, a lot of research and committee meetings might take place at. Where do you go and have your beers when you're not drinking, you know, in oh, your own place that's going to be a, a tap room? Yeah, well, Thursday nights uh, when we try and get together and, and talk things business. But again, that's done it. We try and support the venues that we're stocked at, of course. But um, around the corner, Molly Rose, I think you had on three weeks ago. And yeah, right. there. yeah, amazing job. I, I love their beers. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of the default to go there. Uh, we've got the Fox Hotel across the road, which are big supporters of, of craft beer as well. Mm. Uh, and then you've got your Bodrigi, Stomping Ground, the Mill, Fixation, all in that like little cluster, all walking distance, as well as fantastic pubs like um, Goldie's that are selling craft beer. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty blessed to be in this little pocket. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of beer that gets drunk around here. Now, we're going to have a sort of ask our traditional question. I might get Warren to do that. Then we're going to have a little break uh, here so that I can do a little advert that I'll sneak into the podcast to sell all sorts of exciting things that are coming up in Cool Room Land. Um, So the traditional Cool Room question, I like asking this of people who... No, actually, I don't because there's not normally as much sex when when I ask people who haven't been in hospitality or brewing. What... (laughs) Um, so what is the strangest, weirdest, most amusing thing you've seen in a cool room? And I, when we, we, we expand cool room out to be brewery or any hospitality, but yeah, what, what is the, I'm, I'm interested in someone who's there when it's, when it's not someone who's in the industry or in, yeah, or just getting into the industry. Yeah. Well, this, 
the first thing that came to mind was a beer festival we did in Launceston over New Year's Eve last year. Um, beer fest there. <laughs> we, our beer was also situated in a cool room with the food stalls, so not uncommon. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was, and I can't think of the food exactly the food stall that was there but I think it was some sort of middle central Asian um, Uh uh, cuisine that had some sort of chicken spiced chicken curry sort of chicken sitting there and Uh then I came in to get some beer and then another gentleman came in to grab the chicken for the stall that they were doing it and slipped on the the floor of the cool room and then this like slop of of chicken <laughs> chicken room and i looked at him and he kind of gave me a face of like oh no and i said oh no <laughs> and i said let me get someone <laughs> but i've got to get this beer out here give me a sec and um it's one of those moments where you're like i'm glad i'm not that guy <laughs> oh yeah Spillages. We don't have enough spillages when we ask this question, but that's good. I like that. Yeah. Surprising how few spillages we have. Lots of explosions, lots of, you know, various other bits and pieces, but not many spillages. I came back an hour later um, after I made sure that there was someone there helping him clean up uh, and it was all gone. It was all clean. So I hope he found enough chicken for his stall and it was all good. Oh. And a festival too. It's just the worst situation to spill. Like it's like you're, you're a little bit stressed. You've been running around since yeah. wee small hours. And it's like oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's a bit like you know, don't eat fish on a Monday. Eating chicken at a festival requires a certain kind of bravery in the first place. I would argue. <laughs> that's. I think that's making some some rather. You're casting some aspersions about about festivals, David. Oh, no. Well, let's just keep on moving along. I don't want to do that. But, but Hugo, I do want you to share the bit of advice that you gave me. It's great advice about when you're building a bar in a uh, tap room. Let's, uh, let's just hear that bit of advice. Oh, yes. We'll have a little break and uh, recharge our glasses before we come back to talk about, well, a couple more delicious beers, uh, most predominantly the IPA. Mm. But, yeah, what's the advice? I'd, I'd love to hear, yeah. Um, well, a bit hard to see behind me, but thanks, David. We, we do have a bar that we uh, yeah. had built for festivals. We'd been renting a bar and then we were like, well, we're going to quite a few festivals now. We should really build our own, you know, give us yeah. flexibility and costs, uh, savings and all sorts of things. Um, so we had this bar built for us and I didn't go and, and pick it up from um, Sam, lovely Sam, we've heard of, of Sam, he's um, got in contact with a man who was able to build a, a bar in his shed uh, and he did a, a fantastic job but convinced us that you really only need two pivoting wheels, uh, not four. Ah, and yeah. we've learned since that four pivoting wheels is what's needed for a bar. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to manoeuvre kegs and uh, glycol chillers and everything else uh, with a bar that can only go back and forth is yeah. um, a bit of a task. So for everyone out there, <laughs> the best advice I can get in building a bar, get four pivot wheels. 
it's important and, and it's important to share that knowledge with the young people who might be listening who might one day aspire to such a thing themselves yeah anyone who's built anything that needs to go backwards and forwards and like you parallel parking imagine the awesomeness of parallel parking <laughs> would be if all four wheels turned and that pretty much gives you the the insight into into why four turning wheels is much better than two i i just quietly with that insight let's have a little break i'm going to click pause on the record and we'll be back in a few short moments and a big thanks to me for pressing pause there because that allows me to say a big thank you to all of you who have been downloading the podcast, listening in and uh, sharing it with your friends. Uh, it's been our biggest month ever for downloads, uh, April 2022. Uh, and that's a real thrill, not just for us, uh, but for everyone associated with the show and allows us to get the kind of high quality guests that we love to have on. So if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please click that little button and why not share it with your friends through the social media that you are partaking so that everyone can come along and be a part of the show. Helps us to get the kind of quality guests that you guys all love to listen to. Speaking of quality guests, let's go back to Hugo and the local brewing company. Well, we're back underway here and Jane was very helpfully going to do a little clap and then I started talking anyway, but thank you, Jane. And at least that way we all know that the recording is working. Hugo is still here with us. We're now moving on to the Runaway IPA. Uh, we've had an excellent little chat during our call room break here, uh, which has ranged over a wide number of important subjects. And mm. Warren, something that Hugo said what? caught your eye or your ear, should I say? My ear. Like, like, so, so, all right, so you're a tour guide in Melbourne, which Correct. sounds incredible. Like, that sounds like a, a really fascinating gig. So what does it entail? And, yeah, what do you, what do you guide people around in your tours? <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've been a, a tour guide in, for different companies, for different, mm -hmm. like, you know, aspects of, of Melbourne and Victoria yeah. for a while, but most recently... Uh, well, most notably for Aussie Brewery Tours. So that's less tour guiding and more taking people on a beer journey throughout some of our great regional areas of breweries, uh, as well as the wow. inner city. Uh, so Scott, Scott DeWar, he, um, Dewar rather, he makes, I, I call him DeWar as a joke, and I forgot that uh, that's not his name. <laughs> uh, so Scotty Dewar at um, Aussie Brewery Tours does an amazing job there. Um, and then most... Uh, recently or predominantly work uh, as a walking tour guide in the city of Melbourne uh, for Depot Adventures. So we do kind of introductions to Melbourne primarily. Mm -hmm. So you arrive in the city and like, what do I do? I, I don't know where I am or what I should do. You jump on a walking tour and I'm like, this is Melbourne. This is why it's special. This is why we love it. This is what the locals do. This is what you need to see over the space of like three hours. We try and take him to as many places that we think are important. Uh, and then we do a bar tour as well, like a hidden bar tour. So we take them to the, the places that make, you know, Melbourne one of the greatest bar cities in the world. Uh, mm. Warren, we were touching on like dive bars and David. Yes, uh, yeah. And this was an interesting one, yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll lead this a little bit. So you said the words, Melbourne isn't the city of dive bars. And I kind of know what, you're, what you mean there, but can you elaborate on those words? 
Yeah, well, I mean, when I think of dive bars, like you go to the States and there are these places that you, mm-hmm. you look at from the outside and you're like, geez, that doesn't look... Should we go in? Should we go in? Yeah, yeah let's go in, you know? Uh, and Melbourne's quite discerning, I think, for the most part. Um, we've got a yep. great pub culture, but I don't think you can really call pubs dive pubs. They're just suddenly pubs with character. And I'm thinking of like places like Labour in Vain on Brunswick Street, places that yeah. have been there for such a long time. Yeah, you know that might the closest thing I think you could say is like a dive pub maybe, but it's still got so yeah. much character and it's still a pub. It's not a bar. So Melbourne, at yeah. least in the CBD as well. Well, the Rose. Have you got? Have you? Has anyone been? Has anyone in the cool room been the Rose recently? It's kind of like it's a bit of a mess. They, they, it's there's not mess. Like there's just like knickknacks all over the place, and it's just got more character in the. Yeah, it's. I'm there. I'm. I think I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, good. Yeah. You understand where you're coming from, and we're not. We're not trying to labour it or put the good people of the Exford down. But you know, the the Exford is a colourful place, and you get some. You know, characters. you get I, some characters, and that is the yeah. joy of the dive bar is that you get these people who come up and talk to you. You know, regardless of whether they are welcome to come to the table or not. That's that's part of the joy of the dive bar to me. Hmm. Well, I think, well, so the interesting thing is you could argue that Melbourne didn't have the dive bar that a lot of people had in mind. So we had yeah. to create a dive bar, which is like, yes, we did. most people, like, it's the oxymorons. Like, you can't create a dive yeah. bar. A dive bar is what it is because, it's, you know, yeah. it's been there a while and no one with any Are you, taste. I, 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 reckon you're, I reckon you're thinking the same thing and someone else has mentioned it in yep. the chat. And I reckon you're thinking the same thing I've done. And, like, let's not get it wrong by saying that Heartbreaker isn't exactly what the right elements for a dive bar. You know what? They've, it, it's, it, is, it isn't an original kind of dive bar which is developed, but they've extracted all of the qualities that you want in a dive bar. Like... It, it, it's 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 unpretentious um the bartenders care more about what they're serving than they do any of the customers which is amazing <laughs> they care more about the music they care more about the what's on tap or the whiskey you that the, they're serving than they do the customers the yeah. swinging lampshades are always great and like one night I ordered a pizza and it was delivered by a girl dressed up as a giant avocado. And <laughs> that hey, Warren, is... I feel like we should get you on the podcast one day. You've got so yeah, many talking great about this, I, I can't get away from it. But yeah, like I, I mentioned Pony. Like is Pony Revolver? Uh, it's kind of like Dive Bar in Melbourne just means you need to... Yeah, somewhere where you could die and no one would notice for several hours. Yeah, so, and I reckon that's right. It is partly a generational thing. Like young Hugo's there with his, you know, oh, full yeah. head of hair and his bright shiny <laughs> eyes. You know, he's too young to remember the Carlton when the Carlton was upstairs oh, yeah. in the street, and that was a dive. That's where I first kissed my wife, of course. But that's, oh. that was a dive bar par excellence. Yeah. But now your your wife, like the only person I've ever heard to get thrown out of the Exford. Oh, I'm gonna have um, to edit that bit out now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So dive bar. Yeah, you're right. We didn't have. Yeah, we don't. We don't kind of. You know. 
And and just out of interest, Hugo, when you were, I'm, I'm going to talk about my old Almada um, Monash University out in the, and when back, you probably don't remember, but it was still called the farm when I was going there because it was so far away from civilization. <laughs> it was considered kind of just a paddock in the middle of nowhere. It was like Waverley Park, Monash, and then actual Melbourne. Um, <clears throat> you just described them as your old Armada, by the way. Yeah, yeah I did because I've been watching because it's almost it's almost NBA draft time, and I've been listening to way too many. Oh, it's a long story, but it doesn't matter. Um, do, did you ever? I did tour. Like, so the thing that really got me excited about doing tours about stuff is that I remember I did tours for our prospective students' office um, back in the day at Monash. Uh, it was so you drag you drag poor secondary school students around the place and show them all the shit stuff that you did at Monash. It was it was awesome. Anyway, back to the beers. Yes. People who listen to the podcast version will never understand just how much I just edited out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they will never know. <laughs> welcome back. Um, welcome, welcome back. back. <laughs> and welcome back. So Hugo's here and we're about to start talking about uh, the, the runway, runway, the IPA. runway IPA. Can Hugo, you want to lead us into, into a, a little tasting, the runway IPA? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to uh, schlang this beer uh, as a, a shout out to um, uh, a good friend who uh, he likes to think he coined the phrase schlang, but I don't think he did. I'm unfamiliar with the phrase schlang and I'm very worried about going down another rabbit hole that leads us away. <laughs> for, but, uh, but for those of us that are over 78, what is a schlang? It's a, a schlang is nothing more than the sound that happens when your, your oh. beer is open. It's a schlang. It's somewhat of an oh. onomatopoeia, maybe. Um, but a good friend who used to have a podcast, um, Beer Eye with your mates, uh, guys. Uh, so, Ooh. Lachlan Murphy, so well done to uh, him for coining that. I'm not sure if he did, but he likes to claim it. We claim all sorts of things that we're not responsible for. So, we're totally up to supporting someone else in that in that time. So. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. So a runaway IPA, uh, this, the runaway refers to how uh, our ideas seem to get ahead of us when we were creating our third uh, core range beer. Um, more in the naming than anything else and the design of the beer because the, the flavour profile that we wanted was, was set pretty early. So you're going back now to uh, 20... Uh, hang on, I've got my years all mixed up here. I think I might have said... 2018 yeah that's when we found it so we're, we're now coming into 2020 or just prior to that COVID has anyone else realized that your, your sense of time has just been so shifted by COVID you're like yeah that was two years ago sorry four yeah. years ago so sorry for getting my dates all mixed up but this is our third beer uh we launched we uh, we launched uh about two years ago now or a year and a half ago uh our runaway IPA which you know, at the time, we'd seen this huge emergence of West Coast IPAs come onto the market. And it was just as we were developing and refining our kind of craft beer palette, I guess. And, you know, I'd been to then the States at that time, had like you know, Dogfish Head 60-minute IPA, and it kind of just blew my, blew my head off. And, you know, my taste buds were, you know, I think they're still recovering at that time. And I used to think, like, what a ridiculous beer. It's so bitter. How can you enjoy it? When you have a few more and you, of course, begin to develop an appreciation for the like 
pot profile being balanced by those like piney, grassy, citrus forward caramel notes that come through. Um, and then came home and couldn't really find the beer, but just uh, as that was um, occurring, this is now going back, sorry, well before we, we started the beer cup, it's, you know, six years ago, eight years ago now. We've got, um, you know, brands like Fixation that are creating like the best representation of a West Coast IPA, I think, at that time mm-hmm. in the country. And you're like, oh, wow, like this is now a beer that I'm really enjoying. And a lot of us uh, founders had like discovered this beer as well and had thought the same thing. And we started drinking more IPAs. American IPAs were, um, you know, now within our budget so we could purchase them here. Uh, Deschutes Brewing, um, I was fortunate enough just by happenstance to to take them on a tour and heard all about their their story and they were like one of the pioneers really and still independently owned which is amazing check, uh, check out um, the archives for our interview with Deschutes there you go uh Deschutes so Mr and Mrs Fish um uh, amazing took the tour around Melbourne yeah in Victoria and they were wow. this before I'd started the the beer company but I was learning all about um or maybe right as we were starting and I was yeah hearing all about um, uh, the, the journey and the story. It was amazing yep. insight and, and knowledge that was gained. And they went to a small community and basically had to convince the town that like what they were offering was of, of value. Like, why would you drink anything other than the mass produced beer and the bud that people knew? And uh, yeah, they've, they've helped change, obviously not just US beer culture, but Australian beer culture as well. And, mm. you know, we just wanted to create our own take on a, a West Coast IPA. And this is also the time that, you know, the crankshaft has like come up and we're drinking crankshaft and we're cracking the, the lid off in one piece. Yeah. And we're getting this waft of like beautiful hop aromas that come through and it's balanced and it's like, it's not, you know, an 8% beer. It's a beer that you have one, but probably still have another one as well because it's so darn good. Um, so, yeah, this is our take on the classic kind of West Coast IPA. Um, so again, we've got that um, Citra um, hop that we spoke about before, Simcoe as well, which they just marry so nicely in. It's no, no uh, coincidence to see those two hops in so many West Coast beers. Um, and then Yukonot, which is a bit more of an unusual uh, hop, but you know we wanted to again put our own kind of uniqueness, and that's the, the hop that we decided to to profile alongside those two others. And when I drink this beer. Yeah, I get a bit of sweetness front up, like toffee characteristics that come through um, quite strongly. And then, you know, there's like elements of almost candied orange, perhaps, that I get as well. A bit of pininess, but not overpowering. I think for a lot of people in our eyes as well, what put a few people off that style was that kind of overly grassy pininess, bitterness that would just overwhelm Mm -hmm. the palate. And this is at a time when people would just... It's like IBU was like the end goal almost for some brewers. So yeah. we were trying to get up, you know, our sits at 50, but there was like breweries trying to go well over a hundred for like, mm-hmm. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, just because they could. And then I turned a lot of people off the style. Uh, and luckily I think we've now, we're getting, and then of course we've seen the evolution of like East Coast IPAs and fruity beers and lactose beers and people's, palettes i know mine has just become like overwhelmed over time and so now i think we're seeing a return to this like now back to like bitter but well balanced 
um, West Coast IPAs and, and lagers as well, which I'd kind of think of a resurgence of as for similar reasons. And um, we think this, yeah, this, this hits the bill. It's, even those little bit of caramelness, all those sort of flavours you were describing earlier on, you can I can get that really nicely through this. So, uh, how many experiments did you have to have a go at before you really decided that this was the one to to go with? Yeah, well, it was a few of the home brewing trial batches that went on. At that point, it was you know we were still experimenting, um, but we didn't have the best uh, homebrew kit still so we were trying to extract these flavors of these beautiful west coast ipas and there was there was a bit there but probably not as much as we needed so this is where again we've got uh some great support and friends in the industry and you know burnley brewing uh for example who as oh, well as i've heard of them yeah there you go make sure we get that discount michael um have you know helped given their advice on you know as well as making great lagers have been making some some ripper ipas recently mm. as well so yeah, we're um, pretty happy with, with where we got to. We hear from a lot of brewers about the difficulty from stepping up, not just from like a homebrew set, but, you know, different sized capacities. And right at the very beginning, you spoke about how your, you know, brewery has evolved to bigger and bigger sort of brews. Have you had to rethink any of the recipes along the way along those ways? Because that's, been, again, a question so many homebrewers ask us along the way. Yeah, you'd be naive to think that the beer that you start with uh, or your first batch is going to be the beer that you will forever be making. And to do that would be to put yourself in a corner because uh, let alone the, the differences that in ingredients that you'll be able to source and get with every batch, you know, you'll have to adjust somewhat to customers' tastes. I mean, if we were still making a... Or if we had first made one of those super hopped um, beers, we certainly wouldn't have been able to convince retailers time and time again to stock it, you know? And then that's generally how you're forced to evolve as a brewery is, hey, this beer isn't really moving. And then you're like, well, why is it not moving? You'll have to like dig into a bit more of like where the general sense of people's, you know, taste profiles have gone, you know, hey, Four years ago, you know, three years ago, people, they only want hazies. That's why your beer is not selling. I get asked time and time again for more hazies of you guys doing a hazy. So, you know, you, then you're kind of forced to look inwards. Well, is this what we want to brew? Is this representing of our like, company? Can we do a good hazy? Do we think it's a fad? There are a lot of like beer styles, I'm going to say like brewed IPAs that I think was was the it style for a matter of like months. Only. Oh yeah. You would have almost the length of time it took to brew one. I would have said that by the time it was recognized as the it style, uh, it was too late to get one on before it had passed away. Yeah. So, I mean, you can try and predict as much as you can. And I feel a lot of the prediction that goes on is now what is selling in the States right now, but everybody's doing it. So if everybody's doing it, then you're not ahead of the curve at all. You're just, copying what every other brewery is, is going to be doing. Um, so you, I think you need to, at some level, back yourself and realise that you do have a good product while at the same time recognising that there might be general shifts in, in people's taste profile. So it's a bit of a non-answer, but do both. Like if you believe in your product and believe that like it is, it is good and people will continue to drink it regardless of what styles and fashions are coming in and out, then then back yourself and then 
hey, we're now in an age where like limited beers are like the rage. Like try your hand at your limited. Mm-hmm. So many, we probably aren't at this stage yet, although we've had a few seasonal beers that are becoming more popular. That if you've got a seasonal, a limited that's doing really well, hey, well then maybe that's your core, your next core range beer. There's no reason that, you know, it can't evolve and can't move from a seasonal limited edition into your, your core lineup. Or replace a beer that's, you know, maybe it's, it's done, it's too old, you know. People have had the style, they're no longer interested in it. We're yet to have that, but we're always, you know, thinking and open to, to whether we need to update or remove, you know, one of our styles. Now, we mentioned right at the very beginning, you know, part of what motivates you guys, which I presume is the reason you get out of bed in the morning, is the social enterprise aspect of the business. And um, I've spoken to many a social enterprise over the years. It's often very hard to get those off the ground just in terms of, you know, agreeing to a business plan, agreeing to the funding. Can you explain what a social enterprise is? Because for not all of our listeners will know what the terminology means and what did it mean for you guys, especially? Yeah, well, we always like to say up front that, like, we're not a charity. We're very far from a charity. In, in our minds, like, a charity, their whole purpose is to, like, do uh, better in, and, and improve the world or improve a certain sector or whatever they're going to do. That's their sole focus. And our sole focus is to create the best quality products we can that also impact and make a, a, a benefit or that, um, as we like to say, um, it gives social, it drives social sustainable. So that is very early on what we wanted to do. Like the beer was the focus, but by concentrating on, on creating this great product and being successful at that product, this could create social sustainable impact somewhere else. And very early on, we mentioned at the start that Second Bite was a cause and that their own social enterprise that um, that try and reduce waste and reduce hunger around Australia by getting food that would otherwise go to waste, which is such a huge problem um, when you think of the people who are starving in Australia and around the world and getting that food out to where it needs to be. So um, a big passion of ours and, and what we're very proud of today is the, the limited beers that we've produced uh, our surplus sour range so through coles through that um relationship with second bite who work closely with coles um we've managed to secure leftover bread which is the that doesn't sound glamorous but is it is the most uh wasted food product in the country because you imagine bread is baked every day and there's just so much that goes to waste at the same time there are tons of fruit around the country that never make it to market because the timing's wrong, they're too small, imperfections, logistics, whatever it may be, um, the price. So we've tried to solve for two of those big issues and uh, at the same time delivering on what we want to do as a company, which is create great beer with our, um, our surplus sour range, which... Um, uses leftover bread and that fruit that wouldn't make it to market and we're delivering what we'd like to think is a more sustainable um beer so that is those sour range that's an exclusive deal uh through through coals and yeah there'll be more 
more to come. And that's where we see where we can do drive the most impactors as our business and, and still be able to produce these great core range beers and limited beers at the same time. I know in the city of Melbourne, I don't often talk about my political role here, but one of the, when we sat down and did all of our data on the people who live in the city of Melbourne, one in three experienced a food shortage over the last two years, which is actually an amazing mm. wow. thing to stop and consider. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that in every street, one in three people, but it probably means that as you walk down the main streets of Melbourne, that you're walking around people who experience food insecurity mm. in one way or another. And it's often not displayed in a particularly overt way, uh, which is why it's fantastic that there's now a whole range of organisations, second bite at a great. And, you know, genuinely one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on the podcast was to talk up the issue first and foremost, but to highlight the fact that there are people doing some great work to, to try to address it. Yeah, it's in this industry, you can't get away from the fact that it is so resource intensive and the impacts on the environment for a long time uh, are not great. You know, it's, mm. it's a very carbon rich producing industry, but there are so many steps being taken by so many breweries. Um, our head sales, um, um, head of sales um, is, is also doing a brewing course. And that is now one of the big topics that they talk about is sustainability uh, mm. in the brewing world. And you only have to look at, you know, like the inventive work that's done by young Henry's with their like algae, the carbon basically being fed into, or carbon dioxide rather, being fed into the algae, um, which is then going to like be reused. They're still trying to finalize and, and work out the most efficient use of that algae that has sucked up all the CO2 from their, from their brewery or some of their brewery. Yeah. Um, crankshaft that I visited who have teamed up with CSIRO to like uh, use bugs as replacing some of the like malt profile in their beer as well. So to eat beer that had partially been made with crickets was like, we still taste wow. it so that's up to them. So yeah. it is what we're thinking about as well as all the like standard, let's put solar panels on here, let's find efficiencies in the brewing production. But, you know, there's so much more that can be done in that space and we're really yeah. excited to, to be able to explore that. It's a, it's a fascinating question and one yeah. that I think will loom larger and larger. Uh, it's really one that I think about when we're importing beers or other people are talking about, you know, importation mm. of beers, particularly ones in glass or in steel yeah. kegs and things like that. And, you know, it's small things in and of itself, but the whole fact that you're sustaining industries which are running on an outdated model, it's um, going to have to be addressed properly at some stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about things that we need to address properly, we're going to move on to a couple of audience questions in a moment, which we need to address properly. See the beautiful segue I did there. But nice. before we do that, we'd love to sort of hear just that a little bit more about the space that you're anticipating uh, opening out in Clifton Hill, when you think it's going to happen and mm -hmm. what we can look forward to. Maybe even whether there's a, a special beer or two that's going to be prepared for it. Yeah, great question. Thanks, Dave. And I think we've also we'd sent some information through to you earlier that like, Hey, our tap room looking to be open up um, by June. Actually, if everything goes to plan, this tap room behind me, this will be open up uh, probably April last year. So that'll oh, excellent. Be exciting. That'll be really exciting for us. I watched back to the future part <laughs> three last night. So I'll just get in the DeLorean and we'll see you in no time at all. Um, look, we certainly not unique in, um, 
businesses and I'm thinking of the deeds and co-conspirators oh, yeah. on the top of my head that have had extraordinary long drawn out delays um, in their build process of their breweries and tap rooms. And we have faced some similar delays, council in particular uh, has drawn out. And then obviously being in the middle of, I'm not sure if you guys been following the news, but there's this like, kind of flu that went around and kind of, ah. disrupted, yeah, disrupted a fair few, let's say like supply chains, um, mm. as well as a few other things that have uh, blown out costs considerably. Um, yeah. Us starting this brewery, like really on a shoe, uh, this beer label on a shoestring and kind of reinvesting what money we did have uh, back into the business. And we were able to find financing uh, for our original quote. And then with these blowouts, we've kind of been forced to, to find solutions, I guess, to, uh, to the new costs and where we can maybe cut costs. And all. so that's been a, a considerable delay in going back to the drawing board in some aspects, but the dream is still very much alive and we will definitely have a space opening at some point in the future. Well, this space opening at some point in the future. I can't, we've kind of got to the point where we don't want to give an indicative date at all anymore yeah. because mm-hmm. we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. But yeah. look, the space is, is here for us. Um, we will have beer on site. It's terms of like what beer is the first beer to be poured off taps or the beer that we'll launch the tap room with. I don't know, maybe we'll need to get the cool room community to um, crowdsource the uh, the beer. Oh, oh, we'd be we'd be up oh, to that, but why wouldn't it be XPA? That's a dangerous thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> You've already said the XPA sort of sounds a bit like the heart and soul of it, but yeah, why wouldn't it be that one? Yeah, but you're gonna cop an imperial stout. <laughs> oh yeah, that's chicken beer. That's probably yeah, I, I just the feeling in the room. Or a black IPA. Uh, would be the other one. Yes. Yeah. Nothing's ever gone wrong with brewing those. <laughs> no, it's nothing could go wrong. But yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's. Did you have that? Did you have any ideas? Is this going to be one of those committee meetings, which might end up in a you getting kicked out in one of the venues you're having your committee meeting? <laughs> Probably. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of the eighty twenty rule, but it's basically you spend eighty yes. percent of your time. Pareto, I believe, was the was the man who, who came up with that one. Yeah. Did you learn that at Monash? Yeah, we've, I think we've been proven and probably learned it in business. There are things like how many T-shirts should be printed has <laughs> taken up far This is relevant time. for us. We need yeah. to learn this. That's what we... <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, if we print more, they're cheaper. And we can sell them, right? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but then we've got all this money tied up in T-shirts. What if we don't sell them? But we will sell them, won't we? Mm-hmm. And then this sounds like an excellent time to move on to audience questions. <laughs> because Great time. Great time. It's, it's, it's difficult to explain just how many years we've been debating this without producing a single T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But we have something like 15,000 T-shirt ideas. I believe that is the current count, yeah. Warren. I believe that I is correct. Yeah. You've got a lot of little lines Ma- on your wall. Mainly about, J- mainly about Jane's Lady Cave, predominantly. Like it's, um, it's the uh, main- now you're making now you're making me do more editing. Oh, more Let's editing. move Isn't on. Sorry. I have sorry, Jacob David. listed as the first member of the audience who's going to ask a question. Jacob, would you like to unmute 
Fire away is one of the best things about being live in the Zoom room with us is that you get to ask your questions of the brewers uh, as we move along. So, Jacob, welcome, brother. Thanks, as ever, for your support. Fire away for your, with your question. Thank you, David, and thank you, Hugo, for your time. Um, I'll just thought, say quickly, I've jumped ahead to the Sunset XBA, and it's delicious. But um, I was just going to say, with your uh, core range, you know, you've got a really good setup core range here, but I imagine there's something you may expand with time. And I'm wondering, what would be next to add to your core range? What do you feel you'd like to go to, like a hazy, a dark, a sour? What, what do you feel? Something else? Good, good question. That's, that's one that is just constantly being discussed amongst the team. Um, we're pretty comfortable with having some sort of rotating stout and porter as a seasonal beer. Mm. Um, so, you know, whether you have a, a core range that only comes out six months of the year, that would probably fit into that character um, category is almost the same time as, you know, our, having a, a sour is also up there, but we're now concentrating a lot of our time on uh, limiteds as well. So we have um, an oat cream, despite me going on about how oversaturated <laughs> the uh, oat cream <laughs> has become. We did still want to try our hand at it. Um, and we have a, a raspberry uh, porter as well, milk stout porter coming out in the not too distant future. Those Ooh. are the two beers that we'll, we'll be uh, releasing next. Whether we'll be having a hazy come out still still toying with the idea i think we we're all, for a long time we were like this seems to be a flash in the pan idea no one wants a hazy beer do they um but we might be forced to uh to reconsider and we do like i enjoy a hazy beer i think stomping ground is actually a great example of they hadn't brewed a lot of hazy beers um they kind of held off and then they brought out their their park ale which sits in a very like you know, mm. a category of like, you know, accessible to a lot of people at a good price point and it's done very well for them. So look, I wouldn't be surprised if we try to do it, do something similar along those lines, yeah. Excellent question. Now, James, I think you're going to be our next one up. And uh, again, a long-time supporter. Thank you for your support, mm-hmm. brother. And you've got a very sensible question about social enterprises in the beer world more generally yeah thanks dave and thanks hugo it's been great hearing more about local looking forward to your tap room opening hopefully very soon um fingers crossed um my question is really about i love the concept of social enterprise and my question was really around whether you had taken inspiration from others who have had similar philosophies like um a couple that came to mind were hawks brewing in sydney that we've had on the podcast before and brewmanity and and their connection with different um, causes. And I just wondered if that influenced you at all or if this is just a, an independent endeavour. Yeah, good question. Uh, thanks, James. Thanks, uh, Jake, as well, for your questions. Um, look, as far as I'm aware, I don't think we were familiar with Hawks or I don't think they'd even been launched. Perhaps at the time we were discussing our beer. Uh, Brumanity was, but in our mind, Brumanity had... Um, the MND cause, which was amazing, was like almost the 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 biggest factor of their brand. That that's mm-hmm. what they were doing, um, and we didn't have at that point a a big organisation like Second Bite behind us. But even if we did, we still wanted the beer to be the focus. As I said, it's like creating these great products that the success of those beers 
and the attention that we get as a brand can bring to light um, the issues in you know sustainability and food waste um, and then to create a difference you know through monetary means um, through our success as well um, but there were other brands that we that we looked at that were able to we thought achieve both things really well and that the success of their or rather that by having this social impact was only strengthening their brand. Um, it's a delicate act because if you, let's say, give away a percentage of profits when you are first starting out, those profits can be really crucial to the success mm. of your company to being able to reinvest. So we went with um, a per pack and per can um, commitment, which we knew would still ensure the success of our business. Um, because a lot of companies might not even, you know, be profitable for a few years uh, in the first instance anyway. So they can have this commitment to doing good, but they're either foregoing the, the revenue and the capital they need to reinvest to make their business even more successful in the future, or that they're not donating anything because they've committed to a percentage of profits. So we were really uh, mindful of that when we were starting. We had some good advice around that. So I think we were... Maybe as far as I'm aware, the first when we launched to have this commitment or this similar to commitment to a, to a national organisation um, around food insecurity. And, and since we've done that, there have been so many other breweries that have come on board with like similar uh, social goals or ethical considerations. And, you know, we're only supportive of, of them. It's, it's certainly not like, hey, we are the brewery that own this space um, We'd love to see more of it in, in this industry and in, in more industries. I'm sure there's never been a meeting where you sit around and go, what we want is to be the only people trying to solve food insecurity because the six of us can handle that by ourselves. Yeah. Precisely. And look, it's not finished yet. I mean, we still have aspirations and, and we have to have the success of the business firstly in mind, but to be able to, to contribute directly to local communities where our beer is sold. So whether that be donations to footy clubs, let's say, to, you know, art or, you know, gardening committee, whatever it may be, like that is a long-term goal for us, certainly as well as the continued support of, of continuing to support Second Bite, which is a, a really important relationship for us. You've been very generous with your time on a Sunday afternoon. We're conscious of the fact that not only have you been generous with your time right now. Uh, oh, hang on. There's got one last question from James. Sorry, James, I missed that one there. Have a... An unstoppable questioning force, David. You are um, very yeah, much so, when, 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 are, when are Jake and James going to take over our podcast? Because their <laughs> questions are always on point. I really love them. There's a lot of responsibility, Warren. I reckon I forget to record all the time. Um, <laughs> too soon um anyway um my question we'd was never do that we'd never no, forget no, never. um I, I really enjoyed the hop selections in the beers today particularly you know we talked about it in the break like the ul melon was genius in the pacific hail um i wondered if if you had an appetite or if you know if the brewers have an appetite towards in particular new zealand hops so we've seen a bit of, um, hmm. I, I guess, uptake here. Like, you know, a bunch of places around town are really enjoying using Rewaka and a, a number of crafty places say that that's their favourite and it's one of my favourites. And, and I just wondered if there, there's an appetite towards branching out. Yeah, good question. I think that is probably a natural evolution for us 
to be, you know, highlighting hops in, in the beers or more unique hops. Um, I mean, we'll be the first to admit that we're not the first to grab the new, you know, cryo pop and, and have a, a crack at that with, you know, a little bit more, I guess, perfecting of what we've got now. But we would love to be a company that, you know, a bit more innovative when we have the opportunity to be with our own equipment. I think that's the, the major thing holding us back. Uh, but look, in saying that, the Stratum, we highlighted this hop in our West Coast IPA most uh, recently or a few months back. Um, Chinook, which is, you know, it's a well-known hop, but that's going to be introduced in our Oak Cream IPA. And I know Sam and the other guys that are more focused on the brewing have, have got their ear to the ground of what new hops are going to be uh, released or that they can investigate for, for future brews. But yeah, watch this space, I guess, James. Well, that now seems like the appropriate time to say, <laughs> Hugo, you've been very generous with your time today and very much acknowledge the fact you had to come home early on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> to be able to do this with us. It's uh, uh, Sorry, Dave, to jump in, but I was just saying what what a terrible thing I had to do to come home and drink beer on a Sunday, which I'm sure is what I'd be doing anyway. <laughs> uh, look, regardless, mate, we genuinely appreciate it and we we love to hear stories of people who are passionate about beer, passionate about small business and, and passionate for all the best reasons. And I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say that uh, everything you've spoken about this afternoon feeds into that. Uh, we're going to sit around and just chill in the Zoom room with the XPA, maybe crack a few other beers from other brewers that we've had along the way. But um, we uh, really encourage everyone to jump on board, encourage their local breweries and local bottle shops to get local brewing company in. Where do we find your socials if we want to tell the story? Yeah, thank you, Dave. Um, Localbrewing.co is our website. Uh, Handle local brewing au uh, you'll find us on uh, instagram uh, i'm trying to think of the other platforms we're on at the moment but uh, those two are probably the best places to to find us and yeah wanted to thank uh david and warren the whole cool room team for the opportunity to come and speak to you um and lastly to and i know this audience don't need to be reminded but to continue to support local independent craft beer um, I know this community has, and, and there are many more that we really appreciated um, the support and, and yeah, it drives us to want to, to create products that, that you're going to, to enjoy and spread out to, to the world. And it's an amazing space. And if anyone wants any more advice or information, or we're more than happy and we know we've been blessed to, to work in an industry with so many other generous people who've helped us get to be where we are today. So anyone wants more advice or information about starting their own you know beer label more than happy to answer them so uh, info at localbrewing.co as a website feel free to reach out to us or or the chat function in here Uh, and lastly congratulations on the success of of the cool room i think uh we can say a lot of hard work uh is is finally paying not finally uh is paying off Um, or will soon will soon (laughs) (laughs) we look forward to um yeah continuing uh continuing listening and um look forward to more things to come in the future for both of us you're very kind and very generous uh you're a good man thank you hugo thank you Thanks, warren hello yes goodbye
Goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye to everyone else who's in the Zoom room. Uh, we look forward to joining you very soon again with an awesome May tasting pack. It's going to contain some awesome beers, a quick beer from co-conspirators, seven great beers from Wild Barrel in the US, 11 great beers from King River, including three fresh wet hopped IPAs and five beers from Sea Legs. So that's what May holds before we head off to Beer Deluxe and other city venues for some great live events. Uh, Thank you for listening to episode 130. Tell all your friends about it. Subscribe and rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And we look forward to joining you again very, very soon in the cool room.